We're continuing our series uh, on prayer this morning with a topic that I've called covenant pleading. And I realized after I did that that probably that doesn't sound that appealing to anyone else. So let me change the word to something that maybe sounds a little more fantastic. How about boldness, right? This is what we're talking about here. What does it mean to get bold with God in prayer? Now you'll see why I picked covenant and pleading because there'll be two ways that we achieve boldness here in a minute. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can turn to Daniel chapter 9. Contrary to most people, when we turn to the book of Daniel, we're going to talk about prayer. We're not going to talk about what a lot of people get into when they turn to the book of Daniel. And fair enough, Daniel is uh, perhaps the most obscure and unique book of the entire Christian Bible. And, uh, but, but one of the key ways that we understand the book of Daniel is to understand the character of Daniel. Uh, there are visions and dreams and hands writing on walls and crazy statues of all kinds of different amalgams of things and kings turning into cattle and grazing in the field. I mean, bizarre stuff. If you've not read it and you want to have your mind blown, check it out this week. But know that the center of understanding it is, who is Daniel? And how is God using him? And how is he reacting to God? And how, how does he prefigure the way that God is going to rescue his people? Uh, and we find a very unique understanding of that right here in the ninth chapter uh, of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 9. Let's read, uh, let me read it to you. Um, there's a number of verses here. I'm going to go one all the way through 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, uh, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of, the reign, of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, to our princes, to our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, In all the countries where you have scattered us, because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses... And sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Ever said that about your situation in life? Just as is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God, by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, 
We have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all Your righteous acts, turn away Your anger and Your wrath from Jerusalem, Your city, Your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and Your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of Your servant. For Your sake, Lord, look with favor on Your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Sometimes it's good to get bold with God. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. In the the original Hebrew, the actual word is is actually, what are you waiting for? Right? Stop delaying. Get on it now. Move. Now, if you're anything like me, you were taught to be polite. If my dad heard me teaching you this right now, he would turn in shame and cover his head in his sports jacket. That's manners. But I'm always turned back to the fact that Jesus tells us to embrace the kingdom like children. And you know what's something interesting about children? They have no qualms about making bold asks, do they? Right? They make the boldest asks ever. My son puts together a Christmas list every year, and once again, an Apple laptop is on there. (laughs) And I said, Jackson, let's like, you know, it starts at like $1,100. I know. That's what I want, and I'm asking for it. Right? They make these bold asks. We, uh, my family was on a camping trip with another family, um, a place called Locust Lake, and there was a, 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 another family in the campsite next to us. And um, <clears throat> the, the little kid who was there, his name was Kenny, uh, so attached himself to our kids and to our family and the family that was with, so, so that he was calling uh, the, the guy who was with us, uh, he was calling him Dad. Right? <laughs> and so Brett, who was there, was, was asking his kids, hey, can I get anyone, I forget what he's asking, salad or marshmallows? And Kenny's like, I'll take salad. I'll take marshmallows. Before I know it, Kenny's in my tent. Kenny's in the back of my car. Kenny's dumping sand. I mean, the, the kids have this sort of uninhibited boldness. I mean, they know what they want, and they go after it. And I wonder sometimes uh, if I can just be so honest with us. Sometimes when we get in a heart-to-heart with God, why do we soft-shoe around it? Why do we walk on eggshells with this God who we proclaim loves us more than anyone else loves us? I mean, why do we tiptoe around just terrified that he might hear us say the wrong thing and, like, strike us dead? Listen, if he was going to strike you dead for doing the wrong thing, we, none of us would be here, right? Like, this would not be happening, and no one would exist. God is full of mercy, He's always pursuing us in, in, a, in a method that's slow to anger, and yet, yet when, when we approach him, even though the writer of Hebrew says, yeah, you've got a high priest that says, go boldly, we go and say, uh, it might be nice if X, or God, it could kind of work out if Y, you know, that, that might work out if you want, Right? Uh, and, and, and it's good, and we'll see about that in a minute, to submit ourselves to the will of God. Don't mishear me. 
but we have to understand how to do it in the right way. Listen, we are inhibited in our connection to God because we don't go to him boldly. We are inhibited in our ministry because we don't do it in boldness. We are inhibited in our relationships because we don't enter into them with boldness. Boldness is widely missing from the church in America and around the world, except in the places where they're facing the most adversity. And perhaps the only adjective that you can use about them, not big buildings, not wonderful programs, not thousands of converts, boldness. And then you see that God himself is responding in boldness. How might it change us if we take the posture of prayer that is covenant pleading? If we take up Daniel's uh, proneness here to entering the presence of God with real, uninhibited boldness? I mean, he knows what you want anyway. Well, let me suggest to you a few things that help us understand uh, from this passage here how to enter into the presence of God in boldness. And the first is that it rises from our connection to Scripture. Daniel here, before he enters into this bold prayer, was it say he was reading the Scriptures and he he understood from reading the Scriptures the prophecy of Jeremiah that the desolation of Jerusalem would only be seven years. And, And you can read it, Jeremiah chapter 25. There it is. It's because of his connection to Scripture. Now, he didn't have a physical Bible that he was reading, but the, but the full counsel of the prophecy of God was so, so intertwined with the being of these people that it's what they knew, it's what they breathed, it's what they ate, it's what they talked about. Remember, they, they tied it around them, they bound it on them, they put it on their doorposts, all of these things that the full counsel of the Scripture of God consumed them. Friends, if I can just be blunt for a moment and not get us too far off uh, the, the path that God wants us for a moment. I mean, what is your connection to Scripture? Is it a desk reference? I fear that for many of us, the Scriptures are a desk reference. Here's what I'm facing today. I'm facing a need for joy. What do the Scriptures say about joy? There it is, and we pull out a verse and understand it. I'm facing grief. What do the scriptures say about grief? And and, and don't mishear me. That's that's good stuff. But but listen, I fear that that we have lost a love and a passion for the scriptures and replaced it with a love and passion for studying the scriptures. Do you catch that? I feel that that, that we have, have lost the pursuit of embracing the fullness of the scriptures. And you, you've been taught because, because, because the leaders have failed, the church has failed in this way. You've been taught that you should pursue studying the scriptures. And, and listen, studying the scriptures is a good and right thing to do, but it is a means to an end. It is not the end. Because your study of the scripture ought to bring about for you an embrace of the fullness of the scripture. Listen, what we're talking about here is such a connection that the divine drama that's unfolded in the pages of Scripture for us becomes radically our story. It's no longer my story, but it's the story that God has woven me unbelievably into in His blazing path through history. I feel sometimes that we've lost the call to embody the story of Scripture because we've given ourselves to the pursuit of finding applications from a verse of Scripture. At the end of the day, 
we need it all. And a particular verse can speak to us, and we should study, and we should seek application, but if it's piecemeal like that, then we haven't understood the full nature of who God is and what he's intending to do in the world. And when you come to embody this story, this story, then suddenly the fullness of your life is reoriented and you approach God in a radically different way. Because it's not just, I need peace, and this is what the scripture verse says about peace. It's that this is the story of a God from eternity who's been pursuing peace. And of course he wants to give me peace. And of course he wants to fill me with peace. And of course the story of peace, he wants to be my story. And so we go boldly after peace. We don't simply say, a God, in in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says peace, and I really need that now. And those are fine prayers, but we go boldly after it. We go boldly after grace when we understand that God has been pursuing people in grace for the fullness of eternity and pursuing them in mercy and that God's full of holiness and that God desires to give us a full and abundant life. We go after those things with boldness in prayer when the full story of Scripture becomes our story. Don't shortchange yourself. Study verses. Find applications. Study Scripture. No one loves to study Scripture more than me. Like I read the Hebrew and the Greek and do all this stuff and get books and read. I love studying it. Don't mishear me. But if my study ends with my knowledge about Bible verses, then I missed it. Missed the full reason why this revelation has been given to us. Because it points us to a whole different way of life. A whole different narrative for our existence. A whole different set of values that become ours. This is the reality of Daniel going to God in boldness. God, you said 70 years. And the reality of the storyline here uh, to just give you a little background, it's probably it's somewhere in the mid-60s of years in Babylonian captivity. So he's saying, listen, God, time's ticking. You said 70, right? I mean, <laughs> we don't pray like that, but Daniel, um, probably historians have speculated that he was carried away in the first deportation from Babylonian captivity sometime in maybe the year 605 B.C., and Jerusalem would fall uh, uh, later on. And, and the, the prophecy was that, that Babylon would be conquered by an invading army. And what you see in the first verse of chapter 9 here is that the Persians have conquered Babylon because Darius is king, and eventually Cyrus will become king, and he'll give the, the edict for the people to go back. Seventy years. And Daniel's saying, God, listen. God, forgive us. But, but, but act. Don't delay. Your name is at stake here. This full storyline of what you're proclaiming to the world, it's at stake here. Oh, friends, we, we need the posture of boldness in our prayer. And it only rises when the story of Scripture becomes my story. And not just a reference book that I pull out from time to time. But the reality is more than that. It may rise from Scripture, but it is based on the covenant nature of God. The covenant nature of God. Because God has always um, been orienting himself to his people through uh, what the Bible calls covenants. Call them pacts, call them agreements, call them treaties, call them deals. You know, whatever you want to call. Something you pinky swear on, right? This is the way that God has oriented himself with his people. And so you can find all the major storylines of the Bible oriented around covenants. In Genesis 12 and 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. 
says, I'm going to make from you a great nation. Now, you're just this wandering sojourner out here, but I'm going to make you an amazing people and family. They're going to number the, the stars in the sky. And when I bless you, you're going to bless other people. In Exodus chapter 20, God makes a covenant with the Israelites. Hey, if you want me to live with you and be your God, then here are the, here are the rules I want you to abide by. And here's what you can expect from me. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David and says, your son will sit on this throne forever. You'll have this kingdom. You'll have this land. It'll be there forever as a blessing to you. In Jeremiah 31, the prophet Jeremiah says, behold, a new thing is coming. A new covenant is coming that's no longer written on tablets of stone but inscribed in the innermost parts of your heart. God has always dealt with his people in covenant. And and so it's no... Uh, it's no surprise to us that when Daniel goes to God in boldness, the first place he goes is the covenant, right? God, you said you're going to bless us. God, you said you're going to make us a great nation. God, you said David's going to sit on this throne forever, and here we are in Babylon. What's going on? And the reality of the covenant is two things for us. The first thing is that we stink at covenants, right? We're like the worst at covenants. We're like the Philadelphia Eagles of covenant keeping. (laughs) Because God makes these great covenants and the things he promises us in comparison to the things he expects of us are unbelievable. And then we can't even do the things he expects of us. And so the covenants, they fall apart in essence. But the side-by-side reality of it is just as bad as we are at keeping covenants, he's that much more perfect at keeping them. He's never screwed it up. He's never said one thing and done another. He's never promised something and not come through on it. He's never had to change course. He's always been about bringing the fullness of these covenants to reality. So much so that when he makes that initial covenant with Abraham, we've talked about this before. In the Old Testament times, they would do this crazy ceremony. Uh, Please don't reenact this at home. They would gather all these animals and they would slaughter them and literally cut them in half, right? So imagine the animals in your house chopped in half. And they would, sorry, and they, they, would, they would line them on the, uh, with a path between them. And then, the, then the, the two parties who were making an agreement, they would together walk through the sacrifice saying, listen, by shed blood, we're keeping this promise. And so we'll, God does this with Abraham. Abraham's told to make the sacrifice and he spreads it apart and there's blood everywhere and there's severed animals and they get ready to make this walk through there and God does something very interesting, doesn't he? He causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep and he proceeds to walk the covenant path alone. And what he is saying to us is no matter how many times you don't walk this path, I'm keeping my covenant with you. It's never been about what we do or what we earn. It's always been about the full grace of God. He's the God that walks through the severed animals for you, right? He's the God that takes the penalty of blood on him for not covenant keeping. And out of this comes the sacrifice of Jesus. As much as we stink at keeping covenants, and Daniel, that's pretty much of his prayer, isn't it? 
All right, God, I admit it. We're terrible at this. All right, God, I admit it. We're awful at this. You want a bigger word? I'm sorry. We're, we're like the worst at this. You need something bigger? Like, no one's worse than us at this. We've sinned. We've turned away. We don't follow your laws. We don't listen to your prophets. This is the story of covenant. And, and guess what? No matter the facades that you want to put up in your life, and no matter the image that I want to portray to you about the purity and holiness of my existence Monday through Saturday, I'm a royal failure keeping the covenant. But God has never been about that in keeping his covenant with us. And so we go boldly after his covenant promises to us. You said blessing. You said land. For your name's sake. And we get to the third part there. We do this all seeking the glory of God. Now here, we've hit the stumbling block. We can all get bold, right? We can all say, those sound like great promises. I'd like a land, I'd like a throne, I'd like blessing. And, and there, there's a whole, there's a whole um, stream of Christianity that's built around that. Naming promises and, and saying to God, now give it to me. And friends, it, it couldn't be anything farther from the truth. We have the, one of the most boldest prayers happening here. And the way Daniel prays it is, for your sake, God. Your name's on the line here. It's not that I need a new car. It's not that I need a new house. It's not that I'm in debt and need more money. Your name is at stake here. And so when we pray these prayers of boldness, when we pray them honestly and realistically in submission to God, in submission to his will, in seeking the higher idea of his glory and not our own, then we have approached the bold prayer the right way. Friends, Let's just be honest for a minute. Many of us, we do this. We add this to all of our prayers, right? Um, when I was a kid, <laughs> excuse me, I used to pray these long lists of things I wanted. And then because I was told this is what you did, I said, but God, you, you do your will. And what I really meant was, it'd be really good, God, if, if your things line up with this, because this is what I really want here. So just kind of make it happen. And so we put on this tagline, this disclaimer of sorts, that is, God, your will be done. Right? We slap it on the end because that's what we've been taught to do. And I want to suggest to you that it's one of two things almost always. I don't want to judge your heart. It's one of two things almost always. It's either animistic or it's manipulative. Right? When I say animistic, I mean it's about luck. Right? We feel like this thing isn't going to turn out good unless we slap on the your will God or the amen or the 18 Hail Marys or whatever we need to do. Right? We feel like we've got to do it all the right way and say it all the right way and all the ornate things for it to happen. And our whole means of approaching God in prayer is so animistic that it's, it's, all, it's all based upon, I hope that I did this all right so that I get the thing that I want. Or maybe you're a little more like me sometimes when I pray that way. I pray it manipulatively far too often. God, here's my legal argument for this thing I'm asking. Right? It's a full legal brief. I've got 18 points, and I've got some mitigating factors here. And it's, like, it's a wonderful argument. But God, your will. You know, like, like we're trying to manipulate him that adding this thing in is going to turn him our way. This is not the posture of prayer for us. I get that it's hard. I get that human nature, whether we're overt with it or subconscious about it, says that we intend to orient our life around ourselves. The most holy of all living Christians, they struggle with this. We all do. Let's just get it out in the open here. 
We're all trying to, to build successful existences for ourselves. This is why this posture becomes so desperately important when we approach God in boldness. God, for your sake, for your name, for your higher calling. That the reality is that sometimes the answered prayers actually go bad for us and good <laughs> for the glory of God. I mean, check out Daniel here. He's praying this unbelievably bold prayer. God said 70 years, and 70 years are coming close, right? God's got to do something. And what happens to Daniel because he prays this prayer? He spends a night in a lion's den, okay? Now, um, when we grew up in Sunday school, on the flannel graphs, Daniel was a little guy, but re- in reality, he was a minimum of 75 years old, right? So he's going into the lion's den with a cave and a long white beard, right? This is the existence of Daniel. Because he comes at God with boldness, the result of it is the lion's den. And what's the result of the lion's den? The unimaginable glory of the name of God. So much so that the leaders of this foreign nation are falling at the feet of God. When we pray, God, make your name great, sometimes we pray it at our own expense. And the reality is that that's exactly the posture of prayer and boldness that God intends. See, Daniel, because Daniel at this point was actually like the second in command of all of Babylon. He had risen to this unbelievable position of authority in Babylon. And the reality was, even if God answered the prayer for the people to go back, the reality of Daniel's situation probably said that he wouldn't be going with them, right? And he's an old man, for one. And he's, the, he's like the vice president of Babylon. They're not going to dismiss him off to, to the other place. Because Daniel's prayer has never been about comfort for himself, right? It's never been about making situations better for him. It's been about the name of the Lord is at stake here. Your prophet said it. Make it happen. Oh, that we would pray these bold prayers for ourselves, and in so doing, submit ourselves fully to the fame and the renown of God. Hey, listen, sometime... God comes through on what you want with flying colors, and his name is praised. And sometimes you get the opposite of what you intended to ask for, and his name is praised. In either way, the future fullness of the inheritance that God offers to you through the covenant that he keeps is the end result anyway. Boldness, it rises from real connection to Scripture. It's based completely on the covenant nature of God. It always seeks the glory of God. And it is always steeped in urgency. I love Daniel 9, verse 19. I mean, you should put that one. I'm going to put it on one of my prayer cards. You put it on your prayer journal. You put it on your prayer list. Whatever you do, you just put it there, right? Lord, listen. <laughs> Lord, forgive. And stop waiting. These are great prayers, right? It's urgency. The matter is, is, is of utmost importance right now. And urgency isn't just that, that he prays with this sort of fire and passion, uh, the imperative that puts the exclamation point at the end of the command. 
If you read Daniel chapter 6, which another strange reality of Daniel is that you can go from one chapter to the next and either go forward in history or backwards in history or forward a day or back a thousand years. (laughs) Daniel 6 is actually concurrent with Daniel 9. Uh, Daniel 6 is where he ends up in the lion's den. It says that that this prayer wasn't a one-time thing. He prayed it three times a day. Every day. And he threw open the windows and prayed toward Jerusalem with boldness, even though there was an edict out that anyone that prayed to another god would face the den of lions. Because it was urgent. Steeped in urgency. Full of persistence. There's that great story of the persistent widow who is constantly pleading. I hope you caught the, the real, for me, the real takeaway gem of Craig's uh, sermon last week, and it, all of it was quite good. But did you catch that point where he said, sometimes God wants to know if you want it as bad as he does. Urgency, passion, persistence after these things. And friends, it's not just about a 70-year promise of Jeremiah to an Israelite, to a bunch of Israelites who are stuck in Babylon. It's for you. It's today. Because this story that is coming to become your story is filled with God's promises to you. He says when you are weak, he'll be strong. Go for it in boldness. Boldness. God, you said it. Your covenant demands it. I need it. Do it for your namesake now because I can't. I spent last night in a real battle. A real honest-to-goodness spiritual battle last night. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those, but it was tense and difficult. And in in the middle of the night, uh, I finally said, I I can't, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't do anything about it. And this morning, I went after the, the promise of strength in weakness, with boldness. And it happens. He says, I'll give you peace. Go for it with boldness. Don't just say, God, things are hard for me now. Go after it. He promises it. Peace in your life will always make his name great. He says, you don't have to carry your burdens. I'll take them. Go for it with boldness. His name is at stake. He gives you the promise of the Spirit that empowers you and fills you to live the life that you can't live. Go for it with boldness. Demand it. You need it. Because it always makes his name great. We're not talking about name it and claim it. We'd all like better cars. We'd all like better houses. This, this week, we heard some noises in the middle of one of our internal walls that appears to be an animal of some kind. I'd like for that not to be there. 
right? This is not the kind of boldness that I'm talking about, though. God, take away this crazy animal on my wall. No, it's the boldness that takes the gospel and moves it to the next level. It's the gold boldness that takes the gospel and multiplies it to exponential realities because suddenly where there was weakness, there's strength. Where there was chaos, there's peace. Where there was unbelievable burdens, they're being carried by a God who walks with his people. The covenant nature of God can be summarized in three things. These are the three things that God wants and promises. He wants a people. He's always pursuing a people. He says to Abraham, it's just you now, but there's going to be millions. He wants a kingdom, a place for them to be and to have what they need and for him to rule, and for them to be in this perfect connection, just like the garden was the perfect picture. And his promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 was, this kingdom's never going away. It's here. It's now. And when Jesus comes, the message is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Friends, it's here. Now. It's not something simply to be waited for when All this stuff is wrapped up with the rest of Daniel chapter 9. It's now. The kingdom promises of covenant reality are now. And he wants to bless his creation. He just wants to pour out his blessing. Not so that we can stuff our coffers and be fat and rich with stuff and things, but so we can take them and bless the rest of the world. This is the covenant of God. People, land, blessing. People, land, blessing. Gather a people, rule in kingdom, bless my people. Gather a people, kingdom that rules, bless my people. This is the covenant nature of God. And so can I be so bold as to ask you, when you pray with boldness, do it a little bit for yourself. And do it the rest for these things. God wants a people. The covenant heart of God is that no one would perish. No one. We have to go after it in prayer with boldness. We can, we can make great programs and have kids' fairs and have seven or 800 people and we can record our sermons and put them on and we can do better music and have all kinds of programs. None of it makes a difference except when the heart of God is catalyzed and the move of of the Spirit pushes forward, would you pray with me with boldness? For the covenant heart of God. He would gather a people here and around the world. And that his kingdom would come when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, your kingdom come, my kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven, that the rule of God would be experienced in the hearts and lives of his people. Can we pray that with boldness for ourselves and for each other and for those who are far from God? I mean, real, uninhibited boldness. God, your your name and your renown are at stake here. Move. Do something. Whenever I say the word do something, I think of watching baseball with my dad. My dad's a great Phillies fan, and one of his 
uh, thorns in his side was Jason Wirth when he played for the Phillies. And he would get up there, and my dad would simply say this phrase, and it seems to me an appropriate way to pray to God about these things. Wirth, just do something, right? <laughs> we live in a city that was started by people who were passionate about God and was given the name Bethlehem because it was a new entrance of the move of Christ and now is the 18th most, un- most unreached city in America. God, do something. With boldness, we pray. Gather a people. Expand your kingdom. And can I be so forward as to ask you, when you pray for God's blessing on your life, that you pray with multiplication in mind? Not just that he would meet you in your moment of need, but that in meeting you in your moment of need, he would equip you to meet someone else in their moment of need? You prayed earlier that God is the God of all comfort, and Paul relays the message that we have received comfort from God so that we can then in turn comfort others. These are the ways that we pursue God in boldness when we pray. God, would you meet this need so that I can meet another need? God, would you bless us with this so that we can do this? But God, we submit it to your will. Maybe you want to do it another way, and and that's great. But this multiplication mind, that's set. If all God wanted to do in Bethlehem was gather a bunch of people to sit in a half of a gymnasium and hear stories from the Bible, then we haven't understood the covenant nature of God that I know. He's desperate for everyone who's not somewhere else right now. Worshiping. He's desperate for the homes that have gone years without speaking the name of Jesus. He's desperate that that his rule would increase in your life so that your life would bear witness to him to all the people that you touch that we can't. We have to. We must take up the posture of Daniel and pray with boldness, but it will always rise from our connection to Scripture. Is this story your story? It's going to make you pray with boldness. It will always be based on the covenant nature of God. Do you know the God who keeps his covenant even when you screw up every time? That's the God you can go to with boldness and say, you said this, please. Boldness is always about seeking submission to God, the glory of God. When Daniel prays, he says, for your sake, not for mine. I bear your name, not my own. And it's always steeped with urgency and persistence. Friends, God would want nothing more than for all of us in the coming days and weeks to pursue him with that kind of fervor and boldness. And I am convinced that he will respond in fervor and in boldness because the glory of his name has always been his first ambition too. So go after it for his sake. Let's pray.